Guys, would you grab a Bible? And would you make your way this morning to the book of 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 4. On Sunday mornings, we've been doing a study in 1 Corinthians, but we take a pause this morning uh, to have a kind of a special message, and we want to be here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, inviting you into that space. And if you brought a Bible, great. We're glad you did. We encourage that always. Turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you didn't, we still want you to be there with us, so we provided Bibles there in front of you, page number on the screen. You can use an electronic device and open that up if, you, if, you're, if you're longing for it. We would long that that would be a space that God would meet you and meet you in his word and, and longing that it would be so. Now, that's true here in the sanctuary. If you're in our overflow, if you're joining us online, we are just wanting to welcome you again, but also encourage you, grab a Bible, join us this morning, and may God speak to you through his word. Well, we want to ask God's help in that, but before we do it, I thought I would just pause and just kind of explain. So this morning, we're doing a different message. We're doing a message in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Why? Is it because it's an Independence Day weekend? Well, yes and no. It's not that in the sense that it was totally there. See, here's what happened. It was a couple months ago. I heard another pastor sharing, and he made reference to this passage, and it just caught me. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, it just I hadn't thought about it that way before, and I thought, I need to understand that more, so I just dove into it in my own study, uh, longing that God would speak into my life things that he had for me, and so I dove into that and thought, well, okay, is that just where it is? And yet it felt like it was more. It felt like it was something I was supposed to share, so I just began to ask God, like, okay, where, when? When do you want me to share this? And I just felt his leading to share it today that it would be good on this moment as we think about where we are in history, as we think about our nation. Uh, it would be good for us to think through what's found here in First Timothy. So that's why we are here, and yet just longing that God's Word would make connection. So let's ask Him for it. Let's just take a moment and pray and ask God to open up His Word to us so that whatever He's wanting to speak to us, we would be able to hear it. Would you join me in prayer right now? Father, we thank You that You're good. And I thank you that you're a God at this moment in time. That in this moment of history, you reign. God, I thank you that you're a God who is at work and that you speak. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us today. That you'd open up this passage to us. You'd open up your truth to us. And God, in your faithfulness, you would speak to us together, but individually. You'd make it alive. You'd make it connect to us. And God, you would give us a response to that. Ears to hear uh, what you're speaking, that you would work good in us through your truth. God, in your power, by your spirit, we're just asking for help right now. Just asking that you would meet us and, and draw us to what you have today. We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the last days... God gives us a serious warning about what that is. That's what we find in our passage this morning, is it's a warning for those who would be living in what the Bible describes the last days. Hey, why don't you notice it with me? Let's just pick up the first two verses there in chapter 4. He says it to us this way. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Wow. 
pause there and just join me in this thought. So right here, God is speaking, and he's speaking to a specific group of people in a specific time, right? He says, in the latter days, in the latter days, and he gives a warning of of a falling away, a departure, or an apostasy that he warns about in that moment. So that's a good space for us to begin this morning, and we probably ought to define that time period for a moment, in the latter days, or in the last times. That's a term that the Bible uses for that section of history that precedes Jesus coming back. So, question for you, are you and I living in the last days? Well, can I answer that for you and tell you 100% absolutely yes. We are absolutely living in the last days, but let me also be very biblical with that. Because when the Bible talks about the last days, it actually starts at the ascension of Christ and goes to the uh, rapture of, uh, of the church. So that Paul would write it in uh, the New Testament where he'd say, hey, we're, you know, here's how we know we're living in the last days. Peter would talk about it. John would talk about it. It says, here's how we know that these are the last days. And they knew they were living in the last days then. And so they were, we are. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want you to be like, oh, I kind of thought the last days was just this moment. No, it's been this whole history. So we're living in this days that are the last days. That said, when we think about the last days, let's understand this. It's not like a static thing. It's not like the last days are always the same. And when the Bible speaks about the last days, it pictures a period of history that continues to increase in intensity, that it continues to increase in brokenness. So though we've been living in the last days since Jesus, you know, ascended, the last days are predicted to be worse and worse and worse. In fact, when Jesus would talk about it, he would talk about it like being birth pangs, uh, that much like a, a woman who's pregnant and is getting ready to have a child, that the pains would get stronger and closer together. And, and I want to just kind of press that upon us just for a moment. So not to press that illustration too far, but if you wanted to think about it that way, well, we're living in the last days. Uh, the church, that we've been pregnant since, you know, the, the days that Jesus, you know, ascended. But we're getting closer and closer. And, and the closer that those days come to the end, the worse it gets, the, the harder it gets, the more difficult it would be. And so when it gives us here as a warning, it's saying, hey, in those days that really are getting right up near the end, he wants to give us a warning. He wants to kind of speak this into us, and so he's telling us that. Now, I'm going to tell you from my personal perspective, I believe we're there. I believe we are living in those days. And so to that, he says this. Notice there in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Wow. I don't know about you, but that just could not catch my attention more readily. Like, this is the Holy Spirit, and he is going to expressly, very specifically, very intentionally speak something into our world. So he says, here's the Spirit of God. He's going to give us an express warning. He's going to give us something that's meant to catch us in this moment, that there ought to be something that would say, hey, this is God. Now, again, it didn't have to say it that way. I mean, if it just said, hey, in the last days, this would be there, that would be enough. If it just said, hey, the Holy Spirit's telling us in the last days, that would be enough. But when he says it this way, it ought to be something that almost just moves you to the edge of your seat. Like, wait, what? So the Holy Spirit is expressly 
very specifically, very implicitly, wanting to tell us something about what's going to be happening in the last days, and he is. This isn't Pastor Jim. This isn't somebody else. This is, the God, this is God himself, the Holy Spirit, speaking into our world to tell us something that we need to understand. And what is it? Well, again, it says it. Verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Pause there. Depart from the faith. The word that's used there is where we get our word apostasy from. It speaks of a departure, a falling away, a moving from. Hey, this is where that passage is. When you've ever, if you've ever heard that term, this is what it's referring to. It says there's going to be in the last days a departure, an apostasy, a great apostasy that is going to be moving people away from faith, from what the faith is, from what God has told us is true. That's a pretty serious warning. So right there again, we just find ourselves thinking, okay, here's where we are. The Holy Spirit is expressly telling us, he's telling us, hey, in these last days, there's going to be this space where, where people would depart, where there would be this pulling away from the faith. So we think about that and we think about what it is, he adds to it. Not only is it something that's going to happen then, but he gives us a little bit of its source. Go back and see it. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some, not everybody, some, so it'd be a big movement, some will depart from the faith, giving heed, listening to, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The source of this confusion that's going to be taking place in the last days are doctrines of demons. That is, that it's going to be deceiving spirits, demonic spirits that are going to be bringing lies into the world. Now, that's not surprising. That's what they do. I mean, demons are real. Satan's real. He's a real adversary. But here's the source of this, and that's helpful for us to begin to think through, that what we're about to talk about, it's worth just pausing and making sure that we see it, that the source of this confusion is the devil himself. It's demonic. Now, that's helpful. I mean, it is helpful this way. We talked about this a little bit last week. For you guys who are with us in 2 Corinthians, we talked about uh, how that, you know, he warned us that the God of this age is blinding people's eyes, that uh, Satan is one that's doing that. And we talked then, and I just remind you now, it is really helpful to understand that he's the real enemy behind it. You know, we think about things that are happening in our world today, and it's really easy at times to... Um, really feel like it's all, you know, some segment of the society that's causing this. You know, maybe it's the media, maybe it's some political party, maybe it's some political action group that's causing this, maybe it's some, you know, and, you know, you know, George Soros or something else that's behind all of this. And I just want to tell you, you know, behind the scenes of all of that, the adversary is the devil, and he is at work in our world. Just believing that, just knowing that is helpful to understand we have an adversary who is working against us, and here he is working. He is the adversary that's doing this. In fact, he's doing something specific. Go back and notice it again. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and notice doctrines. Doctrines of demons. Doctrines, yeah, that's the idea of teaching. That which is held to be true, 
That which is held to be right. That which is held to be God's truth being in the midst of this. Ah, so this becomes really, really helpful. When he's warning us about this, he is not just talking about the world, though that would be true. Though the the realm of truth in the world being affected by it would be a part of that, but very specifically he's warning that in the last days there are going to be things that are going to be taught in churches, and they're going to be saying, hey, this is truth, but it's going to be a lie. This is something that's there, and, and Satan himself is seeking to create this lie inside the realm of the church. Now, that's a fascinating understanding. I mean, maybe not surprising, and maybe it, sh- it, should just, it should just make sure that we see it, and yet for some of you, it would be. I mean, some of you, when you think about Satan and you think about the devil, if you even believe in it, and you should because the Bible tells us he's real, you wouldn't think about it this way. You wouldn't think about it that Satan is actually intentionally seeking to create inside the realm of the church false things. But the Bible's really clear he does that. We think about even in the life of Christ that, you know, we have even Peter kind of repeating that and Satan and Jesus is able to look at him and say, hey, get behind me, Satan. You know, right now what you're voicing, that what you're speaking into this moment, that's a lie. We think about it in the book of Acts. We find in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira begin to, you know, lead some confusion in the church. It tells us very specifically that Peter confronts them and says, why? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Why, why, why has Satan done this? And so he's very active in doing that, that one of his strategies is to make people believe something that's not true, to make them say, hey, this is doctrine, uh, this is a right thing, or this is truth, which is fundamentally a wrong thing that would mess things up, and that's exactly what he's warning us about now, that he's telling us that because in one sense, he's trying to make the church itself messed up. Now, maybe again, that just makes sense. Maybe my words are just clear enough, but if it can give it to you in a picture, let me just show you a picture that in my mind just kind of tries to make clear what I'm trying to say. Satan's aim for the church is to do something that would look just like this, to invite people in the front doors, but to have them from inside the church being just sucked into an abyss of hell, to have them thinking, hey, we're coming into church, but instead of finding hope and help, it becomes a, a gateway to their own destruction. Like, that's his aim. Like, Satan would look like, that's what I want. That's what I'd like the church to be, and that's exactly what he's going to be trying to do here. So he gives us this warning. He's telling us it is that. So again, just pausing there, just wanting you to feel that. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, just to catch our attention, the Holy Spirit is expressly warning us. Demonic activity is going to be taking place in the last days, trying to create some false teachings, trying to create some false things. Well, in our text, he's going to tell us two of those things. But let's imagine you never saw them. Like, don't look now. Like, don't, don't look down. Don't read it now. But let's just imagine like you never saw it. Some of you are like, I haven't. I don't know what's next. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I want to know what he's saying. Let's just tell you, in the text he's about to tell us, he's going to tell us two things that are going to be a part of that end times deception. But let's just say you've never seen it, and you and I were sitting down for coffee, and I asked you to fill in the blank. So what do you think? What do you, what do you think is going to be Satan's lie that he's going to bring about in the last days? What do you, if, is there, if there's going to be something that's going to permeate the world and try to permeate the church, and it's going to be part of a last time's deception, what would you think that would be? Now, I don't know how you would answer that question. 
I don't know what you would think. Maybe we'd sit there and say, well, it's going to be some direct attack against Jesus. It's going to be some direct attack against him. And Satan does do that. The Antichrist is coming. Um, maybe we'd say it's going to be an, an end times persecution. Maybe we think he's going to you know, make it really, really difficult to be a, a Christian. Or maybe we would think, I mean, I don't know about you. I could think of a dozen things that I would think, hmm, I would think that that's going to be there. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I probably never would have come up with what's here. I mean, if, you were just, if, if I had never read this, I would never go, oh, I know what it is. I, two things, I know exactly what his ploy is going to be, and I never would have on my own kind of discovered this, and that's part of its point, is he's telling us about something that we need to be aware of that we might not have been aware of, but he's telling us it's coming. So again, this is the Holy Spirit, and he is telling the church in the last days, which I think is probably us. He says, you need to be aware of something. You need to be aware of something demonic, that there's going to be some things that are coming in there. What are they? Well, let's go back and read it. Let's just begin from the beginning, though. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The lie, they'll believe their own lie, which is crazy all by itself. Then he tells us what the lies are. Number one, in verse three, forbidding to marry. And number two, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, just pause there. Just want you to think about it. Uh, maybe you are there. Maybe you think, well, I totally can see that. I understand that. But it's exactly what he needs us to understand. So let's take number one. He says that one of the satanic lies that's going to happen in the end of the time is going to be this place where Satan's goal is to impede marriage. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. The word that's used there in our English language is forbidding. And it could be that if he's giving us this warning, it really is a warning that would be about that. And we could look through church history and we could say, hey, there are spaces where that's happened. Again, I don't want to make this I'm, uh, kind of an attack on one specific thing, but it's worth at least mentioning it. Some of you grew up Catholic in the Catholic Church, and you know that there's the whole kind of celibacy of the priesthood, which is an unbiblical reality, by the way, and it doesn't really go well. I mean, like, it's, it's a bad thing upon, it's been destructive in its place. It's not a good thing. It's not a, a godly thing, and we can look at that and say, no, that's not supposed to be there. That said, you know, it's not something that's necessarily totally pervasive in our world today that we look and say that's, that's what everybody's thinking. It could be that it's talking about something like that in a kind of a works-based faith, but here's where it caught me two months ago. See, when I hear the word forbid, I think about something that is not actually being spoken of here. I don't know what you think about when you think about forbid. I'm a granddad, so I have uh, grandsons right now, and I just want to tell you they're all at this space that, that we are learning the word no. You know, like, like no, no, you can't have that, no. Like, you know, and when we say that, we are forbidding. No, don't touch that. Like, that's a no. That's like a hands-off kind of a thing, you know, and you know, to kind of think about that reality. It's like, poor kid, he's going to grow up thinking his name is no. I mean, there is like, like that's like, no, 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 no. But there, there's something about that, and we kind of think forbidding, and so it could be when we read this, that's what we think is going to happen, that Satan's going to step into the scene, and he's going to tell people, hey, marriage is illegal. Uh, don't get married. He, that he's going to stand against marriage. And, and we'd say, well, you know, that, that could come. I mean, it really could come. 
But what's fascinating to me about that is that's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word is not a a no. It's not a forbidding. It's not a, a, a denying. In fact, the literal rendition of the Greek word is to dwarf. It has the idea of to minimize. It has the idea of to weaken. It has the idea of taking something and making it smaller and smaller and smaller and less and less significant. Now, that's what I heard when I, when I heard, we just had somebody sharing that a couple months ago. I mean, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's the world we live in. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. It's like I looked at that and think, man, that just could not be more accurate to what's happening in this moment in history, and it absolutely is. Now, we want to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about how that's going to happen. But before we talk about how, let's talk a little bit about why. It's an interesting thing. I don't know. Maybe you would have anticipated this. Maybe you would have thought it. But why would Satan make this his target in the last days? What would he be seeking to do to hinder or impede marriage? Why would he be doing that? Well, I want you to think about it this way, that marriage is the basic building block of all human society. It is the absolutely first human relationship that ever existed. It's not the first relationship. The first relationship is with God, and that's how it's supposed to be in our life. But the very first human relationship that ever existed was marriage. It becomes kind of the building block of all human society, that the family is built upon it, community is built upon it, eventually societies and nations are built upon it, that you're looking at something that's kind of a fundamental structure of how humankind is. So we go back into the book of Genesis. We see there in Genesis 1, and it tells us, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Wow. It just couldn't be more clear. Now, we're going to talk about some of the gender confusion that's happening in our world. It's certainly a part of this, and it's worth us just pausing there and saying, there's only two genders. Uh, like, like, there's male and female. He decided, he created, this is God. He says, there's two. There's, there, he made a male and female, and that's the very foundation. But in that foundation, it wasn't just that male and female, it's that he created them and brought them together into marriage. In fact, when Jesus was asked about divorce in his day and age and what he thought about it and, and, and how that would all work out in people's lives, he answered it, quoting from this passage. He answered and said to them, have you not read, which is a great way of, do you ever read your Bible? Like, like, haven't you ever read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He says, hey, we want to go back, to, you want to know where this is? Go back to the original design. He made them male and female. So he quotes Genesis 1, and then he quotes Genesis 2 that speaks about marriage. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Since this is what God did, and they're going to come together, they're going to form this, this, this incredible union that's, that is this whole thing. And then Jesus just comments on it, and he says it this way, so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's powerful. 
Like, that's just really, really good. He says, here's this thing. There's this thing that God made, God intended, that God created. Don't let people mess it up. <laughs> Don't let ma- man can't come in and redefine what God has defined. He says, what God has created, man can change. This is his design. That's Jesus speaking. That's really, really powerful. And so we gaze at something now that, interestingly enough, Satan's strategy becomes to be one that is targeting the very fabric of society. It's almost as if you could look at it and and say, okay, here's Satan's design. His attack is going to be on marriage in the last days. And in some ways, it's almost as if you could tear this down, this basic building block of humanity, then the rest will come crumbling. I mean, if everything really is built on this, if all human relationship begins here, if you can fundamentally get this messed up, then the whole that's built on it becomes shaky, and it becomes really, really clear that that's exactly what he's doing. Now, again, I I just say that, and it's just really, really clear, and maybe it's enough just to say that, and some of you would easily join with me and say, that's the age we live in. I mean, we live in a day where marriage itself is being minimalized, but let's just talk a little bit about how. Not the only reason, there's a lot of things, but it would just be helpful for us to think through. Let me just begin by talking about divorce. That's what Jesus was answering in Matthew 19, and it's really one of the realities that fundamentally goes into this, and we need to talk about it. Now, before we talk about it, I just want to say this, I absolutely love you. I really, really do. And I realize that for some of you, you're going to hear my voice and you're going to hear condemnation. It's not what I want you to hear. Hey, divorce can happen, and it can happen for biblical reasons, but it's always destructive. And even where it happened for unbiblical reasons, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, and there is grace, but there's never mercy and grace by denying truth. The Bible doesn't call us to find mercy and grace by pretending that brokenness isn't brokenness. It invites us to see what brokenness is and say, that's wrong. That's destructive, and divorce is destructive. He gives it to us this way in Micah. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. He hates it. I mean, that's just really clear. He hates it. It's not that there's not reasons for it at times. Sometimes there are biblical reasons, but even then he hates it. Why? Because it just brings in destruction. It brings in violence. It brings in pain. It brings in suffering. And it's a terrible thing. Now, I wanted to begin there because we need to talk about things that are past that, but here's where you and I live. At least I'm going to tell you where I think we live. I live in such a world that divorce does not even surprise me. Does it you? I mean, when you meet somebody and they tell you they're divorced, does it even, do you even cause yourself going, really? Like, wow, that's a terrible, I mean, it's so common today. So the stats are pretty clear. Right now, about 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's the stats. Again, stats are interesting. You can kind of go in different ways, but that's the stats. The stats are that second marriages go up to 75%. 75% of all second marriages end in divorce. That's a scary world. So we live in a wet space where it's just not even surprising anymore. But it hasn't always been this way. I mean, even in our nation, some of you, you, you've lived through it. And you might remember it was 1969. It was 1969 in California where they first made legal a no-fault divorce. Hey, before 1969, to, to, to get divorce, it took, you, know, you had to give cause it had to be immorality, it had to be abuse, it had, there had to be reason 
But in 1969, California was the first state that adopted saying, hey, you could get divorced for any reason you want. Like, nobody's at fault. Nobody did anything wrong. We just want to dissolve the marriage because we just don't like each other anymore. And, and that happened, and that is swept across our nation. It swept across our world so that today the predominant reason that people get divorced is exactly that, just because they want to, just because there's no reason for it any longer, and it's become so common that, again, it's just not even shocking. Again, I, I'm not trying to bring in condemnation, but if you're married here this morning and you're married to the same person and, and you've been married for the whole time or for all your life, I just want to remind you what you know. You're the weird one. Like, you're, you're, you're the one that people like, what? You're like, you, you're still married? You, what? You know, like, I mean, you're the one that steps out in society because it's just not the common anymore. It's actually the abnormal, but it ought not to be this way. It's a broken space that has brought an incredible destruction, but it picked up speed. So that was about 45 uh, years later. So 45 years later after that, 2015, most of us remember Supreme Court makes a decision legalizing same-sex marriage eight years ago, eight years ago. And, and that, you know, they came and said, hey, you know what? God doesn't get to define what marriage is. We can define what marriage is, and we can say, hey, men can marry men, women can marry women. And, and that what brought in incredible pain and sorrow and destruction. It creates confusion in the midst of it. And you and I live just eight years later, and it's just gotten so much worse. We live in a space where we live in this kind of what some have called the alphabet soup, gender confusion, you know? It's like you don't even know what to call it anymore. It's like LGBTQTXYVZ. I don't even know how many letters we can, we can add to this now, but it's only growing. It's only growing. It's only growing in our world today. And I just want to again say, it's not what God said. Male, female, Marriage, that was how he defined it. And so now we have all of these things happening, and part of what's happening is marriage itself is under attack. That marriage itself finds itself into this place that it's being kind of moved out of that space that would be there, and that's Satan's aim and desire, which is kind of a wild reality. Just to realize, like, he's looking at it and is doing his best to lessen this. Now, that's true in the culture, but where it gets really scary is, again, what God is telling us here in 1 Timothy 4 is it's going to become doctrine. It's going to become a teaching inside the church. Warren Wiersbe, when he spoke about it from this passage, said, Beware of any religious teaching that tampers with God's institution of marriage. Boom, well said. Like, hey, if it says it's teaching, but it messes up what God says, it's wrong. It's wrong because this is God's design. You can't change it, but that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you guys know this, right? I mean, if it was just the world, it would be broken enough. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I think about this last month, you know, June, kind of Pride Month, whatever. It's such a terrible month to walk through. You watch businesses, you know, ch you know changing their logos into rainbow and all those things. But the scarier thing, is that churches are doing it. The scarier thing is that we have churches who fly the rainbow flag, who, you know, make these announcements, love is love, you know, and, and everybody, God loves everybody, and, and, and churches have done that. So much so, some of you know it. I mean, it's become dividing lines within denominations. Denominations are splitting over these things, and it's this weird space. It's a weird space that's happening in our world, and it's confusion. It's confusion in these spaces, and so we gaze on this right now and just want to look and say, hey, this is what Satan's doing. 
I mean, that's what he's doing. It, it, is, it is destructive. It is, it, is, it is that which he's seeking to foist upon this world and just being able to recognize him as the source of it. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, this is exactly what's happening. I mean, this is, you know, what is taking place in the midst of this moment. And, and just to see uh, the attack is helpful. Just to hear the Holy Spirit explicitly warning that this is what's going to be taking place. Now, we think about that, and, and that's number one. We're going to look at the second one in a moment. But before we go there, I just want to pause for a second and say, okay, so this is the attack. This last time, doctrine of demon that's going to seek to impede, hinder, diminish, uh, make marriage smaller, there ought to be a sense that for us, it should create a counterattack, if I can say it that way. It should create us to say, hey, if Satan's working against it, we want to work for it. You know, where, where he's moving one direction, that's exactly where we want to move in the other direction. And there's a number of ways we should be doing that. Probably more than I could go through, but let me just give you three. Number one, I just believe that part of it is just to believe it. It is about truth. It is about doctrine. It is about believing that. Now, here's what I know. In this room right now, probably many of you, maybe, maybe most of you absolutely agree with me. You're like, go, Jim, like, say it more. Like, just, you go there and say it. There's probably some of you that absolutely disagree with me. Um, I lovingly want to say you're wrong, uh, you know, because it's God's word, but you're just struggling with that. That's true. But the ones that scare me the most are the ones that are here, and you just don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, that you're kind of like, well, you know, hey, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not in a, you know, homosexual relationship. I'd never do that. But who am I? to tell two men that they can't love each other and get married? Who am I to tell two women that they can't be married? I mean, they seem like they're happy, and I want to just simply say, God's not asking you to define it. He's defining it, and I want to tell you he does it because he loves us. I just want to tell you that he's not holding anything back. When he tells us no to things, when he defines things, it's always for our good. And some of that is just needing to be believed right now. Because the lie of the world is that it is doing good and it is not. Now, I, I love you and I'm just trying to say this nicely because I know for some of you this isn't far off, this is close at home. It's your family, it's your kids, it's your siblings, it's your friends. And I know that. And I just want to just walk gingerly and carefully and lovingly, but it's still important that we don't embrace the lie to try to make people comfortable. That there is still a place like truth is truth and sin is sin and sin is destructive. God says no because it is that. Now, it doesn't always immediately bring about the destruction. Let's just imagine for a moment, silly illustration, maybe help somebody. Um, it's almost as if somebody would be like, so can I drink poison and, and not die? And so they go and they drink a little bit of poison and they don't immediately die. And they're like, well, you know, it's, I can drink poison and not die. It's a great thing. I just want to tell you, oh, it's not working well for you. Keep drinking the poison, you will keep drinking the poison, you will. And that's where we are. We're living in a world where they're drinking the poison, and for some of them, they're like, look, we're happy. We're happy. We're, you know, it seems to be working well for us. You should leave us alone. I'm just going to tell you, no, it's not. The fruit of this is going to be bad. It might take a generation. It might take years, but I'm just going to tell you, God loves us enough to tell us no. And, and, and so part of it is just to believe it. And, and if you would just be on that page, you would begin to be helped, because that's the warning. Satan is going to try to create a lie, a doctrine that he wants people to believe. And if you would believe the truth and say, I believe it, even if I don't totally understand it. Again, I, I lovingly, I'm just telling you, if there's somebody sitting here right now, and you're like, Jim, I hear it, 
I just don't understand why. I hear what you're saying. I just don't understand why. And I just want to lovingly say you don't have to understand why to know that he's right. You can say, God, you know. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just want to believe you. I want to say you're right. You're right in all your ways. And, and, and I believe you. I'm going to hold that and I'm going to pray. You know, I'm going to begin to pray for those things. If this is where Satan's attacking, I'm going to pray against that. And I know some of you are. I know some of you are. I mean, I think about we have our Wednesday night time where we gather together and people turn in prayer requests. It is almost without fail that somebody puts in there, please pray for marriages. And I should say it's a good prayer. It's a right prayer in this moment. We should be doing that because we recognize this is God's design. So hands down, number one, if you just believe that with me, you're going to be doing well because that's where Satan's targeting. Hands down, number two, I just want to tell you, if he's trying to weaken marriage, we should strengthen them. And I want to talk to you this morning who are married. Again, I know that some of you are married and there's brokenness behind that. You should own it, get forgiveness, get past it. But in this moment, I call you to, to look at marriage and strengthen it. Strengthen your marriage because Satan is attacking it. Strengthen what you are because Satan is trying to make it undone. He's doing everything he can to move against it, and he is inviting you into a space that you would build it. Think about it this way. So I like the passage in Hebrews, and so I'll kind of put that at the bottom of the screen. Marriage is honorable among all. Like, we should absolutely honor it. But let's again just put the stats up. So 50%. One in every two marriages is failing. That's what's happening in our world right now. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely shocking. One of every one and a half or 75% of marriages that are second marriages are failing in the United States right now. Those should be just kind of terror. Like, wow, that's scary. I mean, that's a scary stat. I mean, if I were to put, you know, I don't know, you know, two cups before you and say, hey, drink one of these. One of them will kill you. You know, like, you have a 50% chance of dying. That's a crazy thing to kind of step towards. But that's what it is right now in our world. But is there a way to change that? Yes. Yes. So in those who do stats, and again, I'm just going to own with you, stats are stats, and they can be kind of, you know, sometimes questionable in its full relevance, but nevertheless, I think it's helpful. So in these stats, one out of every two marriages end in divorce, but for those who go to church and attend church together, it rises to one in every 42 marriages. That's a big difference. I mean, that's two glasses to 42 glasses, like only one of these. So if there's 42 marriages in this room this morning and, you obey, and you're in that space where you come to church together, you are already way ahead. I mean, you're already like, okay, this is good. Like we go to church together. That changes the stat incredibly. Do you want to make it better? Let me give it to you better. So for those who not only do church together, but they read the Bible daily and they pray together, it rises to one out of every 1,015. So if there's a couple that says, hey, we go to church, and we both read the Bible daily, sometimes together, but if not, they both read the Bible, and we pray together every day, that, it's not impossible. Divorce still happens. It's not like it, you know, never happens, but it's like one in a thousand. I mean, I just want to tell you, all by itself, that should just say, hey, this is good news for you. So can I just, just take that as a quick encouragement? There's a lot of things that will build godly marriages but this is one of them. Hey, be in church. Doesn't have to be this one. You don't like this church, find another one. Be in the word of God. Be in the word of God every day. Let God's word shape your life and pray together. Pray with your wife. Pray with your husband. Pray. 
Just pray together. Commit to doing it for good of praying together, but just for your marriage. And it's an amazing investment. I mean, it's just a, an incredible stat that would by all means just say, hey, that's a good place. There's a lot of other things we can do to strengthen marriages, but I just like the stats. I just like that that could change it a little bit, and it's a good place for us to think through. So practically, you just need to believe. You need to believe what God says is true. Pray against it. Strengthen it. Can I give you one more just to kind of ask you to be in prayer for? One of the things that we've been talking about is our church staff is that we really do recognize that this is where Satan's working. And so we're praying right now that God would raise up a couple or a number of people in our fellowship that would make this your ministry. We, we have those who minister to marriages one-on-one in our fellowship. That's a good thing. We like doing that. But we don't right now have a, a ministry that is like a marriage ministry. We want one. Uh, we, we just want to recognize Satan is working against this. And so uh, if this is you, we're praying for you and everybody's praying. If this is not you, would you pray with me on it? Would you pray that God would raise up someone who would say, hey, we're going to provide marriage classes. Uh, we're going to kind of get conferences, whatever, going to help people. We just want to do what we can to strengthen good and godly marriages and our fellowship. Hey, I just want to invite you to pray with me on it because here's what we know. This is what Satan is attacking. So we want to counterattack. We want to see it go the other direction. All right. Well, let's pause there. So here's where we are. Kind of make sure we're all on the same page. In the last days, there's going to be a falling away, and the Holy Spirit is explicitly warning us. He is telling us, hey, there's going to be these teachings that are going to come in there. Number one, it's going to be a lessening of marriage. It's going to be something that's going to seek to dwarf, minimize, weaken marriage. Know it. Know that's his attack. What's the second? What's the second? Well, we already read it, but let's go back and read it. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Number one, forbidding to marry. And number two, commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Okay, again, I'm just going to be honest with you. If we were sitting down having that coffee together and we were trying to decide what was Satan's end times deception, I never would have come up with this one. I never would be like, I totally know what he's going to do. He's going to try to make it where people don't receive food. Now, that's kind of the key word, receiving. It's used twice saying receiving. It says abstaining, uh, which is the opposite of receiving. So he says, here's what's going to happen. So what is this? I mean, what is this warning? Is it talking about maybe an asceticism uh, that would come upon that people would think that they are earning their salvation because of what they're doing? Hey, let's just, again, not trying to pick on anybody, but let's just own it. Like, hey, you grew up Catholic? I mean, like no meat Fridays? I don't know. I mean, I mean, there is something happening in there where at times people think that they're earning God's favor by their works. And that is sadly true. It's been a part of history been a part of church history, but let's also just pause and say, it's not really a prevalent thing. It's not that I'd look at our world today and say, hey, that's the whole thing. I mean, people, you know, that's the whole world leaning into it. So what is this warning us about? Well, maybe it's warning us about something that's coming that we haven't seen yet. Maybe there'll be something that comes on our world and we'll be like, I knew that was coming. Like I knew that was coming. And and maybe it's something that we absolutely haven't seen yet. And if that's so, I just want you to hear the warning. I just want you to hear it before it happens. Or maybe, 
or maybe it's actually very present. So right here, I want to give you a thought. Now, I want to be really, really clear about my thought that I'm about to give you, and I want to tell you it's a little bit of opinion. I want to make sure you're there because I want you to be able to hear what I'm going to say, and if you agree with me, great. We're right. No, I'm just kidding. No, if you, but if, if you disagree with me, it's just an opinion. You know, and, and you, can, you can disagree with me, and I'd be fine with that. You can still stay in the church or any of those things. Don't go mad. Don't, don't leave the church over this uh, kind of deal. And, and I could be wrong, you know, because it's not as clear. I mean, the first one's really, really clear. Impeding marriage, hands down. I can look and say, boom, that's happening in our world today. It's exactly what's happening. If this one's happening today, how might this lie be being propagated by the devil into our world today? Well, here's my opinion. Again, it's just an opinion, so just own that on that. Could it be a part of the climate change press that's happening in our world? Could it be this pressure that's being just pressed upon our world every day in every place that is constantly speaking about climate change? Now, hey, it's a big subject to talk about, and I just want to quickly own it. I know many of us, we're like on the same page, and you're like, get them, Jim. And then others of you are like, we disagree, and that's fine. And again, some of you in the middle, that's fine. I just want to quickly own, yes, we are to be good stewards of this world. We are called to be good stewards of this world. And yes, uh, there's a lot of sinful things that are being done in our world, and some of those things are being rectified through some of these things. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, It's a good thing that we'd look and say people are so selfish and and, and self-centered that we would look upon those things and say they're bad, and we would own that. That being said, Climate change has become this weird thing, at least in my opinion, because that's where I am right now. We're, we're on this opinion stage, right? I get to just share my opinion. Um, climate change is this weird thing that is less about fact and more about fear than anything else in our world. Again, I just want to say that nicely. I mean, for those who are kind of just bought into this whole climate change thing, I mean, we've always had climate change. Like, if anybody would know, it's like, hey, there, there was like the Great Depression. There's like dust bowls. There's like, hey, there's been lots of crazy seasons in world history. And so we've constantly had this thing. And sometimes they just don't even pay attention to that. Add to that, you know, in the midst of it, for us as believers, it fails to take in light of God's promise. We had, we had lots of time, we talk about the promise given after Noah's flood, where God promises, hey, there will never be an end to seed time and harvest. There will never be an end to these things. I mean, that's going to continue until the end. So it could never go away. We're never going to see like that, that despair because God's given us a promise. But the interesting thing about climate change is it really isn't about that. It really is about fear. I mean, it's my opinion. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. They can make threats like, hey, in five years, if we don't do something, this is going to happen. Five years comes and five years goes and nobody's like, you know, like, it doesn't seem to make any difference. It's not about actually happening. It's all about fear. And for me, that is always a red flag. It's like, that's not how my God works. You know, to base a a choice constantly living in fear, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And I would just put before you, it's, it's a big part of our world. Now, let's just say I'm right. Let's just say, hey, what, if that's a part of this why? I mean, that's kind of, we talked about marriage. Marriage is a foundation building block. Why would this be there? Well, in many ways, it seeks to reorder something that's really essential, that we begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. That's exactly what God warns about, by the way. So Romans chapter 1, it gives it to us this way. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. 
So here in Romans 1, it gives us a picture of sin's destruction, like sin running rampant and what's going to happen in the world. And if you've been with us, uh, you know, if you've ever kind of walked through that, when we just talked about, you know, marriage, and if you read through that whole section, uh, you would know that homosexuality and, and, and the, the, the brokenness of those things, that's right around these verses. Had we lots of time, we'd talk about how, hey, all of that fits into this, but we just want to focus on this verse. And he says they're going to begin to worship the creature. Now, that's an interesting word, but it's not actually a super great translation of the Greek word. That word creature would be better translated created. It's really this contrast. Instead of working, worshiping the creator, they're worshiping that which has been created. Instead of worshiping him who is the designer and giver, they're worshiping that which he created, and that becomes an interesting dynamic. Had we tons of time. Again, we don't, but I wanted to give you a quick thought. I know how you're made. I know how God made your soul. And he made it so you are made to worship but you can only worship one thing. That's what Jesus said. He said, nobody can worship two, two masters. You can't. You can't worship one. You can only worship one. If you try to, do, to worship two, you'll love one and you'll hate the other. You can only love and worship one thing. So you are created to worship one thing and to enjoy everything else. You're made to worship God. Other things become influence, but everything else is made to enjoy. So what gets wrong is when something else moves into first place. And I would put to you that for many in our world today, our world, climate change and everything else, it's moving into predominant position. So that they're trying to worship our world and enjoy God. I mean, it's not like they're trying to get rid of God for many of them, but they just would like to enjoy God the same way somebody else does their sports team. Uh, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy church. I enjoy, but it's not the, it's not the fundamental reality. The fundamental reality is, you know, and, and I would put our world is saying it's all about climate. It's all about our world. It's all about preserving our world. And it's seeking to move it into one of those first places. Now, what's fascinating about that is that again goes back to the very fabric of society. So we go back to that passage in Genesis. So we had God made male and female, created Adam and Eve. That was the beginning of humanity. And then he says to him there in Genesis 1, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that, that moves on the earth. Hey, you're entrusted with this. Hey, this is yours to rule and reign over. You're going to have dominion over it. There's a responsibility given to us as mankind. And God tells them and us, see, I have given you. And I just like that word there, given for a moment. I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. I've given it to you. I've given it to you. So if what's found here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is a contrast to that, well, again, just note it. And again, I want you to notice the words receive, because it says it twice, and the word abstain, which is the opposite of it. There again in verse 3, that they're going to be forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain. That is not receive. To, it's the opposite of receiving. To abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So something that's happening in the midst of this, instead of saying, 
hey, this is ours. I mean, we just get to enjoy what God has given. We get to enjoy what he has provided. It's moving it there. And the scary thing, again, it's not just in the world, it's in the church. So we, we think about churches who are adopting all of these things, and you guys see it, you know, where they'll kind of say, hey, you know, believe the science, or, you know, getting away from fossil fuels, or climate change is real, and, and those things become billboard sayings on churches. Hey, they've been in our town. I mean, I don't know if anybody's seen that. Like, there's been churches that have had these things on their billboard in our town. I mean, it's these crazy moments to kind of think through for a moment, and yet I would again say it's a fascinating and maybe horrendous thing. Hey, we could spend a lot more time on this, but I'm going to kind of just kind of pull that to a space and say, I just wonder. I just wonder if something that Satan is seeking to do that is trying to unravel the very fabric of humanity, that he's looking at it and saying, you know what, my end times destruction. Uh, it's, it's a, I'm going I'm to destroy marriage, or I'm going I'm to weaken marriage, and I'm going to make it so that this fundamental thing, which is, hey, we have been given this world to enjoy God's creation, says, I'm going to move it. I, I'm going to make it so that they won't receive that any longer, so they won't accept God's good gifts in this, and it will somehow tear, tear apart life at its very fabric. Well, that's again the warning. That's the things that he's given. That's what he's telling us. He's telling us, hey, there's these last days apostasies, doctrines of demons, and these two things. Now, if I'm right, and again, I'm just going to own with you, I could be wrong. But if I'm right, are these two things prevalent in our world today? Would we look and say, hey, an attack on marriage and uh, not receiving what God's good, if it's, if it's found within the climate change agenda, are those things big? Well, let's just be honest. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing bigger than these two things. These are the two movements that are shaping our world today, whether you know it or not. I mean, so here in America, I mean, we, we, we have the whole, you know, you know, Pride Month. We have all the, you know, gender confusion, and it is being forced upon companies and businesses, and, and it, is, it, is, it is discussion across our entire, you know, nation right now. There's probably nothing that is shaping our, our nation more than that right now, and it's being pressed upon the world. It's being pressed upon the world. This whole, you know, con- gender confusion and, and all, it, it is, it, there's like, yeah, that's like huge. And climate change and, and what it is, it is, it is one of the most huge and disproportionate things in our world today. Billions upon billions upon billions of dollars is being spent. Everything is being affected. It's being called the existential crisis of our world, you know, climate change and this, and everything is changing. And, and, and if these two things are the things that Satan's warning about, well, I just want to say it in the most loving way, you couldn't nail it more clear. You couldn't say, well, I wonder if we're living in the last days. It's like, I think we're living in the last days. I mean, like, here's the thing. He's doing such a good job that not even everybody realizes they're being lied to. I mean, he's doing such a good job with these things. He's tearing apart the very fabric of our world, and they don't even realize it's happening. But it is. It is. And so he's warning us about that. He's telling us. And so you and I get to hear this right now. And if nothing else, it should just kind of wake us up and say, hey, are you ready? Like, I mean, if if Jesus is going to come back soon, I mean, if these things are there, I mean, I don't know about anybody else. I look at the brokenness in our world right now, and sometimes I ask a really dumb question. It's like, I don't know how much worse it can get. Like, I mean, I mean, it seems like they've torn marriage down so much. I don't, I mean, yeah, there's a few other things that could happen, but it seems minor. And it's like, I think we're about at the end. I think there's, there's almost, there's just so much destruction. I think there's so much brokenness happening in these things that it feels like it, that it keeps me on my edge of my seat to think, I think Jesus could come back really, really soon. You ought to be ready for that. 
But until he comes back, there are things that we should go at in the opposite way of this. So I'd like to land it this way this morning. So we've talked about all these things. We've talked about this last time's apostasy, this doctrine of demons. We've tried to hear, you know, I hope it's been clear. I hope that you can say, okay, Satan, him, I mean, God himself, the Spirit himself is warning us what Satan's going to do, that he's going to bring in these last time's deceptions. How do we respond to that? How do we do that? I want to give it to you in two verses out of James, and we'll kind of land there this morning. Uh, there in James chapter 4, it says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Hey, three things. Number one, submit to God. You know, I just am inviting you today to say to God yourself, God, you're God, and I'm not. <laughs> like, God, God, you're God. And that means you get to define right and wrong, sin and righteousness, that God gets to be the one that tells us what we believe, both about brokenness and sin and the need for a Savior, about heaven and hell, and everything else that is there. There's a place that we would just come and say, it really is this place of submitting and saying, God, you're right. And I know that for many of you here this morning, you're like, I, I'm there, Jim, I agree with what you're saying. But I know not all of you are. And some of you, you're struggling. And right now, maybe you're struggling with the points themselves. And I want to tell you, the points themselves are less important than the whole. Hey, I just want to invite you to say, God, even if I don't understand why, even if I don't understand why, I'm going to say, you're God. And I get to submit to you. I get to come and say, God, you get to define right and wrong and, and what you made. And it begins not with an understanding of everything. It begins with saying, hey, he's God submit to him. That's a good space for our life, and I invite you to that. Submit to God. Secondly, resist the devil. He's real. He's a liar. He's a liar in our world today, and he's a liar that is lying even in the midst of the church. But it's an interesting thing. Satan would like to you to think that he's more powerful than he is, but his best work happens in the dark. I mean, James just says, if you just resist him, he will run away. He will run away. He will flee. His best work happens when you don't realize he's doing it. But he says, if you would just sit there and say, I don't believe that. I, I, I won't accept that. That's not true. I, I'm not going to believe what that is. He says, okay, he'll, he'll actually flee from you because his best work happens when you don't see him doing it, which is part of the reason why the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I just want to warn you. <laughs> Red flag, two things coming in the last days. You should be able to look at it and say, I don't believe that. I'm not going to accept that, that. No. No to that. Know what that is. Reject that. Resist the devil. Resist his lies. Resist his influence. There's just power in just knowing that, and I just invite you to it. Submit to God. Number two, resist the devil. Number three, draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, because that's the point of this whole thing. It's not just about having it right. It's about having it right with God. It's just being in a right relationship with God, which is where we're invited to do in the midst of this. Satan is doing everything he can to create distance, and God is inviting you to connection. You know, I just want to invite you to that right now. I want to invite you that you would look upon all these things, not just in a kind of, fine, I submit to God, he's God, I have to do it. It's like, God, I want to submit to you, and I want to know you. I mean, I want, to, I want to know you more. I want to understand why. I want to understand what you are. And, and he's inviting you to a beautiful relationship with him. And I just invite you today to that. That's good for all of us, but let me just land it here. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, 
This is exactly what you are needing to do. Number one, just admit there's a God. (laughs) Just, okay, there is a God. And the lies that Satan has been putting in this world are not true. And draw near to God. God has given you a promise. If you would seek him, you would find him. If you would search for him with all your heart, he invites you into a relationship with him, which is absolutely needed, which is absolutely needed. And we are absolutely just inviting you to that this morning, that there would be a space that God would draw you into this. So let's land there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever else you have open. And I just want to invite you to do that very thing, that, that there would be a space, maybe even in this quiet moment, Maybe you already know exactly what it is you need to pray for. Do that. Maybe you just want to come and say, God, I just want to submit. I say, yes. I want to say no to the devil. I want to draw near to you. Would you just quietly where that is, wherever that has landed for you this morning, would you take a moment and talk to him again? If that's you surrendering your life to Jesus, it's a good thing to do right now. I'm trying to give you this space between you and the Lord and long that he would help it just to, to land where it has. So you take a quiet moment and talk to him. I'll do the same and we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, as we think about these things this morning, I just want to begin for me and hopefully for many of us, just want to come and submit to you. Say, you're God. You're my God. You're the creator. You're the designer. You're the one who made. You're the one who's saving. You're the one who's working. I believe you. I I believe in in you and, and what you are and what you have. God, we have a very, very real enemy, and we recognize that. We pray against him right now. We thank you right now, Holy Spirit, for warning us with very explicit, very clear warnings of what would be taking place in the last days. And God, you know. You know how much time we have left, but it feels so prevalent. We see the attacks on marriage. We see the confusion over the very world, over just enjoying and in what how we the relationship that we have with your creation seems so confused in our world right now we pray against that we pray against those things in fact we just want to pray right now for marriages i pray for the marriages in here that you would strengthen them that you would make them that anomaly that they would be different i pray that you would draw godly marriages we pray that you would strengthen that and that you would work that in this church to strengthen that God, we pray against the lies that would get us out of step with your creation, causing us no longer to enjoy, but to somehow refuse it, worship your creation instead of worshiping you. 
Lord, help it to be right in us. Work that now as we just recognize both your warning, but also that the duration is not long. This isn't going to go on forever this way. You said it was the last days thing, the things that would be in that final space. And we look ahead to that place, Jesus, that you're coming back and you're going to fix this broken world. It's not always going to be this way. You're going to restore it. You're going to cause it. You're going to make a world which righteousness dwells in. I am longing for that day. And I'm looking forward to that day. But in this broken space, would you help us to stand? We think about Satan's lies that would permeate the church, mess up the message, make church a place where people come through the doors and instead of find life, that they get kind of a, a quick path to destruction. I grieve over that, but I pray that not here. God, make us a light, make us truth, make us those that hold forth the gospel in a way that is challenging and transformative. God, do a good work in saving. We cry out for that, and today, on this July 4th weekend, we pray for our nation. We pray for our nation that feels in the throes of this confusion. We pray for an awakening, we pray for revival, we pray for a drawing that you and you alone can do. We ask for that now as we trust this now into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.